This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Well, hi, Heidi. I'm really interested in the show today because I never thought about the idea of replacement children. Now, what I'm kind of getting from this is that sometimes, and our our guests will tell us this, but sometimes after you've had a child die or miscarriage or whatever, you might have another child and treat them a little differently because of the child that died. I don't know. That's the closest I can come to thinking about it. How about you, Heidi? What, What did you think about it? It, it was interesting from a personal standpoint. I've never, ever thought about replacement child either. And, you know, in my own personal life, um, I had a sibling loss. My brother died when I was only 20 and he was 17. So I always knew I wanted more than one child. And when I had my son, I wanted to give him a sibling. And I had years of, miscarri- of, of infertility. And then I had two miscarriages. And then in 2006, I went to China and adopted a daughter. She was 13 months at the time. She's 10 years old today, and I don't think I treat her any differently. However, I, after looking at your information and your book and all this information, I've noticed that she's a perfectionist. Okay, so Heidi, I think we need to introduce our guests now. Yes. And, uh, to the I want them to weigh now in. That, now that we've given them a little thought about they might be thinking about if they've lost, had a loss before a child, if it might be treat him a little differently. So why don't you introduce him? Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk to two women today, Dr. Abigail Brenner and Rita Silverman. Dr. Abigail Brenner is a board-certified psychiatrist and a fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. Rita, Rita Baddett Silverman has a BS in psychology and is a life coach, talent manager, and freelance literary agent. Together, they have researched and written the best-selling book, Replacement Children, The Unconscious Script, with a forward by Katie Couric. Welcome to the show, Abigail and Rita. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you two on, and I, I, the topic is just fascinating. It, it is. It, it is. It was very, very, very much so uh, researching it as well, too. Very, very fascinating. I think that uh, Abigail should start when with the definition, because uh, the definition is very confusing, and replacement child is about... Uh, it's it's not about replacing a child who has died. It's really about an experience of an individual who is enmeshed in an unconscious script, which is to fill a void left by a child in the family who has died or become incapacitated in some way. Mm. It could even be after the loss of a pregnancy because that's a very significant loss. So, Abigail, Absolutely. why don't you take it from it, the it top? It could be all of the above. It could be after the death of a child, and, uh, another child comes along. That could be a replacement child. It could be a, an older child that passes away, and a child in the family becomes a replacement child, sort of taking over, filling the shoes of that deceased child, deceased sibling. It could be an adopted child, or it could be an incapacitated child, and another child in the family sort of takes over for that particular child. So many, many people fit that description. And really, the difference between having a subsequent child, as we get asked this a lot, and a replacement child, is that 
in many instances, in most instances, a child that comes along after a death of a child or takes the place of another child is the subsequent child. The replacement now, Rita, child... Rita, you are an example of a replacement child. Is that how the idea came about originally yes. to yes. do this? Yes. Uh, what happened is I had a 14-year-old brother who had a hole in his heart, and he passed away at 14, and I was born 18 months later. And, you know, I never really had ever heard the word replacement child. But what happened is when my son was about five or six, I was talking to one of the mothers at his school who had two children. And the older child was treated very differently than the next child. And one day at lunch, she happened to mention that this first daughter was not her first child, that her first child was diagnosed with leukemia when she was about eight months old. And the doctors then said, have another child. You're going to lose this one. So she immediately got pregnant. Yeah, uh, bad advice. She immediately got pregnant and lost her little girl who had leukemia 10 days before the second child was born. Wow. And she wasn't equipped. She said she was a mess, that she emotionally just couldn't handle anything, that she really wanted the second child, but this wasn't the child she wanted to bring home. And she knew she wasn't connecting with it the same way, that she was just very deep in grief and felt insecure as a parent. Um, And it was just a very different type of relationship that she had with that first child and later on the next child, which was her third so you had an aha moment when you heard that. I did. And then, you know, it's really funny because all of a sudden I heard different stories sort of like that and started pieces of a puzzle started coming together for me. And I started to look for information on this because I had a wonderful, you know, mother. My father died when I was quite young, but I was always being compared to my brother. You know, my brother always made A's where I did not, where, uh, you know, there were always, I always felt I was in competition in some way with somebody who was a ghost. Mm -hmm. Like you like to say, Heidi, uh, Scott never did anything wrong, right? It is really hard when you're compared to a deceased sibling because I have a brother that died. And, you know, when when someone dies, they're elevated to the status of God. That's what we always say as siblings. They never do anything wrong again. And they take on a larger than life personality in the family. And it's a shame because then you really don't get to know your sibling that's not there anymore. They're not real people. And I remember as a child resenting him. Mm -hmm. You know, he could always do better than I did no matter what I did. And given that you didn't know him, all you saw was this incredibly positive, perfect person that you would never be able to, it sounds like, live up to. Right. It's very hard to compete Mm -hmm. with a ghost. And, And it's another loss for you because you really don't get to know that person as a person. So now you and Rita, you and Abigail, you got together. Abigail's a psychiatrist, and you are you have a BS in psychology. You're a life coach, a talent manager, and a free um, freelance literary agent. So you saw that there was something that needed to be said, and you got together with Abigail. How did it go? Well, what happened is I noticed that there were certain similarities when somebody was having to make up for someone else in the family. And I started talking to Abigail, and I were friends before this, and she is a wonderful author and writer. And she started to see the patterns, too, when we started talking about it. 
And uh, that's how this came about. And she realized it was a very huge gap um, in information. Also, Abigail blogs for Psychology Today. And yeah, I noticed that. Now, Abigail, you wrote, I was reading what you wrote, uh, it's on the net uh, for Psychology Today. You got a yeah. big response for that? I'm sorry? Did you get a big response from people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I started getting people's life stories. You know, some of the responses were very small. Some of them were like pages long where they told me the whole story of what had happened to them. And for many people, they've been putting the pieces together over the years, trying to find out as much information as they possibly could on their own. Unfortunately, there wasn't too much. So there are a lot of old articles going back to the 60s, but not too much else. But a lot of people really hadn't put it together. They just knew that they were miserable. There were a lot of issues in the family, and they felt sometimes like they were alien in the family, that the way they were treated was very, very different from other siblings. And so for them to see that there was actually a term that was used to describe this syndrome, and they noticed certain of the traits and symptoms that other people had and were describing, it was really a revelatory moment for them, so to speak, very Mm -hmm. insightful. And they really felt better about it, and not saying it solved all their problems by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that they got a sense that there really was something that did describe who they are, and which is very very reassuring to them. We do find that naming something can be so important. It's so healing, right? Very, very much so, and that other people feel the same way you do. You're not odd man out. Right, and it's on a continuum, and not everybody is the same. Some people don't even realize it until you start talking, and they go, oh, yes, I have some of these traits. Other people, and this is very unusual, but we have stories where um, the person was really badly abused, but probably the parents were having very bad psychological problems before they lost the child and then, you know, just everything went crazy for them. Right. And that, that seems to be a very big issue is, you know, I know you talk a lot about grief, is unresolved parental grief. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something we should talk a little bit about, too, if that's okay with you. Sure, sure. Yeah. What's your thought on that? Well, you know, I think there's no way parents ever get over grief Mm -hmm. for the loss of a child. And a lot of people have raised that issue with me in particular. How do you, how does a parent ever get over? You shouldn't use that term, unresolved parental grief. What does that mean? Well, it really means that, you know, in most normal cases, people may grieve their child forever, but they go on with life eventually. Mm -hmm. They find a a new norm after a death, and they go Mm -hmm. on with life. And so these are these are the people that you interviewed that yeah. um, the the ones who are placement children, their parents are caught in some kind of a narrative, maybe or a that mother or a father. That's, that's, that is, that's absolutely that is right. Causing that. Yes, well, so, uh, no, that's the definition yeah, I, that the parents so are they, caught so up they, in a grief where they can't get on and move forward. They cannot with their life. get on and they cannot get over the loss of that child. So they're looking to find someone to replace. That particular yeah, child, and, and I would think talk, the parents are ahead, also the parents are also grieving the future that they're never going to have. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which can happen in the loss of a pregnancy. The loss of a pregnancy is a very significant loss. 
And unfortunately, a lot of women don't have the correct support for it. People say, oh, you have another child or, you know, mm -hmm. you can get pregnant. And right. they don't realize what the, the baby is real to the mother the minute that she's conceived. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, um, Rita, could you tell us some of the things that, uh, how would I know, what happened to you? What are some of the signals that you were replacing? And some child? of the things that parents shouldn't, be, shouldn't do and should the do's and don'ts kind of thing. I'm curious from a personal standpoint, too. Well, the thing that, like Heidi was saying, that I was compared all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, your brother would have done this differently. He would have brought home A's. Um, you know, he would not talk back to me. You know, it's just uh, you, you don't stand up straight. He always had good posture. Mm -hmm. You know, the craziest little things like that. So you always feel like you are being compared. And, and my mother was wonderful. I mean, it wasn't like I was abused in any way, mm -hmm. but she could not get over this. You know, it was a very um, difficult thing. And at that time, in the 40s and the 50s, there wasn't any help. There weren't therapists. There weren't groups. So, you know, you're struggling alone. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, was my experience. Um, a lot of times, you know, like we have a chapter of famous replacement children, Yes, I saw that. Can like you... Elvis Presley. You know, he was born with a dead twin. And right. he, his mother said he was always trying to make up for that lost twin. And I think in the Twinless Twin Society, when I've spoken to people in the Twinless Twin Society, even if someone doesn't know their twin, lots of times they almost feel like they have an obligation. They have a, a feeling of guilt then they survived and their brother or sister did not and are trying to make it up to the parents. This is very subconscious. This isn't a conscious thought. Well, it's interesting you're saying this because my daughter is very fascinated with the idea that I have miscarriages. I mean, I don't, I don't talk about it a lot. She's constantly asking questions about it. So I'm wondering what it means for her, you know, and you had these babies and they died. I mean, she's always asking questions and, you know, it's just, it's just interesting hearing you say this. Well, she may be wondering if you're feeling that, you know, you said she's adopted. Yes. That um, she's not fulfilling some role. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I wonder that too. And, and, if, and if I would have adopted her had I had a child, um, one of these children. Um, and, you know, she is, a, she is such a perfectionist. She does everything so well and her standards are so incredibly high. So I wonder if that's in some way... You know, that she feels she's making up to you. Yes, exactly. Well, it's, you know, the adoption issue is a very complicated one. Mm -hmm. It sort of is overlaid on top of all of this. And we do go into that and try to be very sensitive to that in, in the book. Not all children, of course, who are adopted or placed in children by any, again, right, any stretch right. of the imagination. Many of them are so welcomed and so wanted mm -hmm. because there's been such difficulty for and parents to, to have children. Person. So, but, you know, understanding the whole adoption issue is a story unto itself. Uh, adoption for a child is something that parents need to be so sensitive to throughout the child's life because there are so many questions for a child that where they came from, who their biological parents are, what would have happened to them in another situation that uh, these questions keep on coming up over and over again. So it's hard to sort of tease out as we're talking. Yeah, just the issues of the adopted child um, with a replacement child. 
and, and it now, sounds... I wanna, go on, Mom. I'll go ahead. I, wa- I wanted to ask, um, I, I, I'm listening to this show, and I think that uh, I've been treated like a replacement child, and what would you suggest that I do? I mean, uh, say my parents are still living, should I buy them a copy of the book and give it to them, or are there things I can do with myself? Or And then the other side is, if I'm listening and I feel like I've that I've been treating somebody like a replacement child. You know, what are your recommendations there? So on both sides of the coin. The first thing is to understand it and to understand what's happening. Each case is different. And I think that if you, first of all, you know, replacement is denial that something didn't happen or that this other person is not their own person in their own right. They have to really understand what's happening because the parents are victims in this, too. This isn't like the parents. Yes. There's no bad guy, good guy. Right. You know, it's like everybody gets sucked into this. And there's a fuller understanding and a fuller relationship once you understand this. And the parents, if somebody is treating someone like a replacement child, they need to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And they may have grief work that they need to see a therapist and take care of so they feel more comfortable. And right. then, you know, talk to the child, find out what's going on. And yeah, I think there's just having things that are an open communication is essential. If it's never been there, then there's no time like the present to do it, especially with our big book being out now. I think it really allows people to understand that things can be done to change the situation. And parents need to, we do have some stories from parents who are very aware, looking at stories like that, what parents did do uh, that was right mm-hmm. for their child to make them feel unique and special. Well, that's what very, I'm thinking, Abigail. Important. When you're saying unique and special, even to go to your, your child that might feel, you know, your, your child and just reassure, just say to them, you know, I love how you're your own person. I love Absolutely. how you're different than other your other siblings or than the siblings that died. You all have your strengths, and that's a great thing. And this is Rita. You're you had a strong personality, and you know you're opinionated, and that's a beautiful thing. That was a positive trait. Right, right. But I think you're right. You need to separate it out. Right, and that's really important. And you know we have in the book that it's not all negative. A lot of times, <laughs> the strengths that are developed because you have to really serve you well later on. So a lot of our stories are from people that are incredibly successful. Well, I looked at your, some of your replacement children that were famous, and I thought, wow, they've really gone on to do amazing things with their lives. Right, right. And I wondered, Katie Couric wrote the foreword. Is she a replacement child? She's not a replacement child, no. but she did a lot with grief. Um, <laughs> she worked even with Sesame Street. She wanted her children to understand. Katie lost her husband when he was very young, in his 40s, and her children were very little. <laughs> and, and then she lost her sister also right. shortly after that. So she's very, very schooled in grief, very personally, and she did a lot of work helping her daughters who were very young at the time, like two and six, to uh, understand who their father was and to keep his name and his spirit alive. And the family, she did a lot, a lot of work. And as Rita said, she worked with Sesame Street to to deal with allowing children to deal or show children how to deal with grief and family. I'm sorry. Go on, Rita. I was just going to say that we have a chapter on the Forgotten Mourners, and lots right. of times uh-huh. if a child passes away when another child is already present, the parents 
are given a lot of attention, but the children are sort of forgotten about. Right. And right. that also right. breeds a problem. Yeah, as a, as a well, brief sibling, I, I talk a lot about that. Yeah, this is an amazing book you've written, and uh, I hope people will get it. Uh, it will be on Amazon, correct? Yes, it is now. Yes. Um, All right. Could, can I, um, Heidi and Gloria, can I just comment on one thing that I think is very important? Yes. Uh, I've gotten a lot of comments and uh, people who write blogs and and do a lot of talking to the community of women who have lost children in pregnancies and have lost babies afterwards. For some reason, in recent literature, maybe because there was a celebrity, very famous person who lost a child and went on to have another child, this term replacement somehow found its way into their literature. And there's a lot of resentment um, and a lot of criticism about it. And I should say that having another child does not make a replacement child. That's a subsequent uh, child. Yeah. Okay, the experience of a replacement child is something that happens later on in terms of how the parent treats the child. Mm-hmm. So they should not even be considering that term whatsoever. All right. That's well, a good thank point. you again for being on the show today. Uh, I think this is just a really interesting topic, and um, I think it's going to be uh, very useful for someone who maybe is confused about something in their life, and, and they might want to connect with it and uh, make some changes. Absolutely. Thank you, Abigail and Rita. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Heidi, really an interesting show. I like this replacement child idea. And uh, I know, as uh, Dr. Uh, Brenner was saying, people get all huffy and puffy over, you know, words like replacement child. But but I think it's just a great topic uh, for conversation and, and just the new idea. Well, it's something that isn't talked about enough, and I think that Rita made a good point. I mean, the first step to change is to build awareness that, you know, and to think about, okay, what am I doing that may, you know, and, and like like Abigail said, they, they, parents may be doing nothing, but for those parents that are comparing their surviving children with the, with the child that has died, it's not a good idea because it makes us feel less than and mm-hmm. not good enough and like the wrong child died. And those are really dangerous positions to be in for, for surviving children and siblings. Right. And if you want to uh, hear more about this, you can find shows on our website about sibling loss. And Heidi's written a lot about it. And uh, we appreciate your listening to the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and visit us at opentohope.com. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, Others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.